So, Shelly, we have special guest hosts again this episode. Jules and Sarah, they live in Hong Kong. They both have podcasts, mm-hmm. more than one. Jules has two, I think. Mm-hmm. And Sarah is a sex coach. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and a sexologist. Put me in, coach. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> That's hilarious. <sighs> Are you a bench warmer or are you a starter in this uh, sex coaching? I'd say I'm a starter. Okay. Good to know. (laughs) Real quick, Mary, I want to say something about Jules. She was the first person to reach out to me when we began our podcast. Really? That's right. How did uh, she find you? I think I was in a podcasting group, and she reached out. I mean, we even had a phone call. She's like, hey, let me call you and show you the ropes. She's amazing. Oh, that's awesome. She really helped me and in turn helped our podcast kind of get rolling. Yeah. All the advice that we needed. It was amazing. She is an incredible human. That's fantastic. She's got a great story, and she and Sarah talk about their background in this podcast. And they do a couple of Foom Pods (laughs) and sort of... A Mad Lib game, sort of. They do their best. Um, they slightly <laughs> miss the mark, but it's entertaining anyway. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> All right, well, should we get to it? I say yes. Be right back. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Hong Kong Pod Squad podcast, a podcast with two Hong Kong podcasters just trying to figure out the meaning of life. I'm Jules, and I'm an Aussie. And I'm Sarah, and I'm a Singaporean. And we both call Hong Kong home. We're thrilled to be the guest podcasters on the Latter-day Lesbian podcast, while Mary and Shelley kick back on their well-earned break. Hey, Sarah. Welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me on this little podcast for the LDL podcast. I'm so excited to be here. So... Let's talk a little bit about our backgrounds and our history first and where we come from. So tell Mm -hmm. me about you. Okay, well, I'm from Singapore. Singapore is actually a tiny little island state near the equator. So it actually doesn't ever have seasons. It's tropical climate, but it is very, very developed and very much like a city, like a big urban environment. And you're of Asian descent? Yes, so I both, am. both your parents are Singaporean? Mm-hmm. Singaporean Chinese. I think long time ago, my grandparents or great-grandparents came down from Guangzhou in China. So quite close to Hong Kong. We'll talk a little bit more about what it was like growing up as an Asian girl in Singapore in yes. a minute. But before that, I'm just going to tell you a little bit about me and then we'll chat mm-hmm. about our podcast a bit. So Let's do that. So that the LDL <laughs> listeners can get a picture of who we are. So I'm an Australian girl. I grew up in a farm in Australia. Mm-hmm. I'm an atheist. I remember asking my mum and dad if they believed in God and they said they didn't know. And I thought that was really cool when I was five or six years old. I said, can I please go to Sunday school? Because I heard they did a lot of colouring in. So uh-huh. I wanted to go. <laughs> and then they sent me and I enjoyed the activities, but I didn't enjoy the long sermons. And so then I, that was it. And that's really all my religious education. So wait, were your parents religious then? No, they were atheists as well, but they were happy for me to go and check it out. Ah, I see. They weren't stopping me, so that was good. That's nice. And then I really didn't have that much to do with religion until I went to boarding school when I was 15. Mm -hmm. That was a religious school, so that was an interesting experience. 
And which part of Australia were you born? So I was born in Riverton, which is a small town in between the Barossa Valley and the Clare Valley. So they're both wine districts in Sounds South nice. Australia. Yeah. Oh, okay. So I really was a very much a country girl who went to boarding school and then became a school teacher mm-hmm. and then packed up my bags with my 11-year-old daughter and mm-hmm. just the two of us and we came over to Hong Kong 20 years ago and I've been a teacher here and a podcaster and an author ever since. What do you do here in Hong Kong? Well, I am a certified sex coach and educator and I got into that because I had a terrible sex education, not unlike a lot of people in Asia. I also had a very, very culturally conservative upbringing and I grew up very religious, the opposite of you. My parents are very religious. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, Yeah, we are complete opposites. And I had a very (laughs) liberal upbringing. (laughs) Yes, yeah. Yeah. So I ended up breaking away from religion when I was in my teens, I guess just because I started questioning things and my parents or the church never really gave me any good answers. If anything because it was quite strict. So we were from a church that had a very strict interpretation of Christianity. So pretty much anything fun was frowned upon. (laughs) So, you know, going dancing at a club, you know, listening to pop music, anything secular, that's what they would call it. Okay, so this sounds very much like what Shelley grew up with Mm -hmm. as a Mormon. Mm -hmm. So it's not that dissimilar. No. Except the Mormons did have some very bonkers (laughs) (laughs) uh, sayings and philosophies and the way that they treated their kids and was way more extreme than Mm -hmm. I'm sure what you had. But it's still so interesting. That's why I think I find the LDL podcast so fascinating is because it's so far removed from what I know. Did you not ever meet a Mormon when you were growing up in the farms <laughs> of Australia? <laughs> Do you know what? I've never met a Mormon. Okay. I've never met one. <laughs> so I'm I'm hoping to meet Shelley. At least I'll meet an ex-Mormon one right. day at a podcast festival in the US. Okay. But no, I don't. Have you met one? Yes, yes. Have you? So the Church of the Latter-day Saints was quite close to actually one of the churches that I grew up with. And you could always tell who the Mormons were because they all looked like they had a uniform. A white shirt, um, name tag, black pants or slacks, and always buttoned up to the top button. I always noticed that for some reason. (laughs) Not even one button would be undone. So how did you meet them though? Like I've seen them, but I've never met one. Oh, I just met them at the bus stop and stuff. Oh, okay. So I think, I, I don't think I've ever talked to one personally, but in our church, because we were very uh, separatist, and by separatist, that's what they call, I think, feeling superior to other denominations of Christianity. So they used to study all of these other types of Christianities, everything from Catholics to, you know, what they would call cults and Mormons fell under cults, but also to, you know, other movements from like um, charismatic Methodists and they would just kind of shred them apart and say that, oh, they don't believe in the Bible or interpret the Bible the right way. We have the right interpretation. So is separatist a religion? No, separatist is it's just a way of thinking to say that we're better than everyone else. Oh, okay. So what was your, what was your religion? My religion was Christianity. 
Oh, so it's not like Lutheran or it, oh, it was or, Bible Presbyterian. Oh, Presbyterian. Oh, mm-hmm. see, they're the mm-hmm. they're the more um, extreme ones, they're aren't quite they? The fundamental. Yeah, yeah, they're like, a bit more radical. That's yeah. what I would call them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Sarah, tell me a bit about your podcast. Okay, well, my podcast is called the Better in Bed Podcast. And I created it because I wanted to normalize the conversations that we were having about sex because I grew up um, in an environment where nobody talked about sex. And I actually think that a lot of people grew up in a similar environment. And I wanted to break the taboo. And also, I wanted to get better in sex. So, (laughs) you know, and if you don't talk about it, then how are you going to get better at it? So that's why I created the podcast. Oh, how cool. And what are some of the topics that you have on your podcast? What are some of the most popular ones? Okay, the most popular topics. I actually went and checked my stats recently. So the two episodes that I did, number three, called Becoming a Penis Genius. And I think people just like the name. Uh, And number 10, which is Female Ejaculation, Turning on the Waterworks. Those are my most two downloaded episodes. And I actually think the reason for that is it's because we debunk a lot of myths about the topics on the episodes. And I think because, especially with female ejaculation itself, People have so many questions. There's not very good information out there. So having somebody give an evidence-based approach of, you know, what is actually female ejaculation, what do we know about it, what do we still don't know about it, is actually pretty insightful for a lot of people. And then also because we focus a lot on pleasure and we give tips on how to become a penis genius or how to, <laughs> how to ejaculate, you know, if people wanted to try it. So if the LDL listeners out there mm-hmm. want to learn about female ejaculation or the genius of the penis, they should check out your podcast, <laughs> Better in Bed. And it's an awesome podcast. Mm-hmm. I love it. I've listened to a number of the episodes and I just think it's great because it's opening up a conversation about things that people don't really talk about mm-hmm. as much as we should. So it's really great. Well, technically, you are also on one of the episodes. Yeah, I am, and you're on one of mine. <laughs> and so my podcast for the LDL listeners out there is called Hong Kong Confidential, and it's an interview-style show where I interview amazing people all over Hong Kong about any topic that interests me, really. So mm-hmm. the topics are so diverse, but there's loads about LGBTQ+. plus. We've got a transgender uh, lecturer from university. Oh, we've got two, actually. And just any kind of topic you can think about. And my top two are stroke is number one, and that's about a girl who was 33 and she had a stroke in Hong Kong and survived it. Mm -hmm. So she tells her story. Mm -hmm. And my second most listened to podcast is called Better in Bed with You. Really? Yes. It's my number two most listened to podcast. That is amazing. Yeah, yeah. I love that. And actually, the most popular ones are all the ones about sex that I've done with Valentina yeah. as well. Yeah. Open relationships yeah. and let's talk about sex and all of those. Yeah. So people really do want to know about sex, don't they, and relationships? Absolutely. So that's going to be our focus for the podcast mm-hmm. today while we entertain the LDL <laughs> listeners. I do have a question for you, mm. though. Who was your favorite guest on the podcast? Your uh, personal favorite 
I don't know if it's favorite guest, but my favorite story is mm -hmm. the surviving the tsunami story. Okay. So there's a girl who was caught in the 2004 Thailand tsunami with her mum, right? And she tells that story of survival, wow. and wow. it's I just think she's got a beautiful Scottish lilt in her voice, wow. and her accent is amazing, and she's so descriptive with mm -hmm. the way that the you know the it was all black and brackish, and it was the amazing. water was rolling in and just explaining the whole thing and it's really popular as well. That's uh -huh. probably in my top 10 most mm -hmm. listened to podcasts. But on a personal level, I just loved it. I just think it's gripping. Mm -hmm. It's so interesting. And there's something about a survival story that is mm -hmm. really, really fantastic. I think the survival stories are my most favorite podcast, like The Stroke as well. I mm -hmm. love that as well. Yeah, the real um, like triumph of the human spirit stuff. But I've got over yeah. nearly 160 episodes now, so it's really, really hard to Amazing. pick favorites. And it's so interesting because some that I think aren't as good, and that's usually because of me, uh -huh. if I haven't done a good job. So if I'm feeling tired or if I don't connect with the guest or if I'm not on my game, then I feel like I'm responsible for the podcast not being great. I don't mm -hmm. think it really is the guest because – if you're a good interviewer, you should be able to yeah. drag a story out of anyone. Sometimes I think, oh, that's not that great. But then they're still really popular and they do really well. So you can never know what's going to take with the audience and what isn't. No. Yeah. But definitely you can know that the ones about sex will be very popular. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's quite amazing. And I think for a little Hong Kong podcast, it's doing really well. Yes. And, you know, and I, you're very prolific because you've, got more than one podcast now. Yes, so I've got <laughs> another podcast, which is like my baby. Exactly, yeah. absolutely. So my second podcast is called Fool Me Twice, and it's about how I was scammed and assaulted in an online dating scam where mm -hmm. I met my scammer. Mm -hmm. And I really feel like I was lucky to survive. Like I could have been murdered in a little motel in Manchester, mm -hmm. and no one would have known until they found the body much, mm -hmm. much later. <laughs> yeah. But that's so, a kind of a survival story. Yeah, as well, it is a survival a story. Yeah. And also, I had to really overcome the shame of the choices mm. that I'd made to get caught in an online dating romance scam. Like, how stupid. But in actual fact, it can happen to anybody. And these scammers are professional criminals who know exactly what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And there's people all over the world that get scammed. And it can happen to anyone. In my research, there's judges and policemen and lawyers and teachers and yeah. anybody, anyone yeah. from any walk of life can be scammed. So yeah. my daughter wrote the podcast mm -hmm. and then she narrates it and I tell the story and we've got other scam stories and we've got experts and I got a real scammer from Ghana and mm -hmm. I interviewed him. So it just has come together and it's really amazing and I'm so proud of it. And yes. we've won awards and been nominated for awards. And, yeah. and it's very well deserved because I actually read your book before listening to the podcast and it, it truly is, I mean, it's it's got a great arc to the story. And I think you being so vulnerable in sharing, you know, the way that you were manipulated emotionally, I think actually a lot of people would identify with that. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And I mean, I think the other thing that comes out of it is it helps people just to own their story, no matter yes. what their shame or what their guilt yeah. or their embarrassment or mm -hmm. the mistakes that they've made. Or even just thinking about 
some of the people that are listening who are ex-Mormons who have mm-hmm. gone through quite a traumatic time in their lives. Hearing somebody else share their story, like Shelley and Mary do as well on their podcast, like mm-hmm. Shelley sharing her story and being able to laugh at it and turn a negative into a positive and yes. making her life so happy now that she's with Mary and, you know, they've got the seven kids and her <laughs> mum and dad are on board now and... It's just brilliant. And I think that helps other people know that they're not alone, that Mm -hmm. they can overcome, that they can be happy in the end. So it's great, isn't it? It is. It is. And one of the things that is so powerful about talking about things is when you shine a light on shame, it actually helps you to, well, retell your story in a different way. You use your story to actually help others, you know. My podcast has actually been a great way for for me to even shine lights on parts of myself that I thought, you know, the story should really never be told. But in the end, when you tell when you tell it, people really respond well to like these personal stories because they identify with it and they say, wow, I never really knew that somebody else felt this way. So it's and very you, powerful. And you've not only been able to turn that negative into a positive, but you've made it your career. Yes. Like you're a sex coach now. Yeah. And you were just telling me you did a sex quiz the other day out yes. at a local <laughs> pub. Like how brilliant. Indeed. So tell me a bit about this attitudes towards sex in the Asian community and what you sort of experienced growing up. Well, what I experienced was, well, very, very conservative, as as I mentioned. You know, everything was cast with this lens of religion. So for me, premarital sex was a sin. You know, having fun was a sin. <laughs> Being anything else besides straight, by the way, uh, besides heterosexual, was a sin as well. In the Bible, we were told about Sodom and Gomorrah and you know the pastor would always say God made Adam and Eve he didn't make Adam and Steve so (laughs) I know know. it's terrible it's a terrible joke exactly so all of this gave me growing up a lot of guilt and shame and I think it was probably worse for I actually identify as straight but I think for other people who grew up gay they were never really fully able to come out of the closet when they were still part of the church and they must have really wrestled with their identity it's so sad isn't it and i think this is also why it's important to have these conversations because people need to be their authentic selves and we're both allies for sure and to the point where in my school we've run ally week where Mm -hmm. we celebrate diversity and look at what allyship means and how we can be the voice for or the support voice for others yeah and I think that's super important and you know I'm always telling the kids at school that my brother's gay because he he is and they're like I'm like have I told you my brother's gay they're like (laughs) yes you've told us But I think it's important. Yeah, absolutely. And I want them to see that I'm proud. I'm so proud of it. And he and he and his partner, I've got two brothers. They're amazing. They've been together like 21 years or something. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's so beautiful because I think the problem with having things be sins is that you feel just really dirty and ashamed of yourself. And when I first started being sexually active, was I would say maybe about 15 or 16. I actually didn't lose my virginity or until a little bit later, but I started obviously having urges and, you know, uh, feeling horny as teenagers do. (laughs) 
And I remember at the time, I was actually seeing this boy from church, and he was also the same age as me. He was also horny. So we would fool around and feel incredibly sinful after that. And so after every sort of makeout session, we would kneel down by the bed and we would ask God for forgiveness. Wow. Yeah. And we wow. would actually <laughs> say to each other and we would remind each other that God loves the sinner but hates the sin. Oh, so you and, could you could like wash some then, of the guilt from you. Exactly. Yourselves. And then we would go do it again. <laughs> That's absolutely brilliant. See, that's so different to me. I mean, I was ready for some action when I was about 15 mm -hmm. and I just couldn't get it. That's when it starts. Yeah. <laughs> no one was interested in me. Like, yeah. they just wanted to like play sport with me or go swimming, but you know, no one was sexually interested in me. But I finally, I had this crush on this boy for years and years and finally I got to snog him in the toilets at the town hall on a disco just before I went off to boarding school so I must have been 15 Fun. okay yeah so there were a couple of years that I couldn't get anything but then mm -hmm. I got a snog with this boy and I was so oh my god and then I'd go home and <laughs> write like about electrified. it electrified yeah I was yeah. electrified and I was yeah. <laughs> go home and I was writing in my diary but there was no guilt and no shame it was just mm -hmm. a normal part of growing up mm -hmm. and it was fine. And that's you know, fine. had a snog and, and, and that's how it should be. Yeah. Like fact, why why are we making people good. feel guilty? Yeah. And I don't know why you should be feeling guilty for something that feels so natural and feels so good. But yes, that's how I grew up in terms of religion. The other the other big thing and probably this is the turning point for when I started to turn away from the church was when I had my first proper boyfriend and he wasn't non believer. So it was drilled into me from really young age that probably same like Mormons as well, that you have to marry or date, uh, you know, somebody of the same faith. And so when I started dating a non-believer, my parents came down really, really hard on this guy. And they almost did a character assassination of this guy. And I said, why are you doing this? Because you're not giving him a chance. You're just saying that he's a non-believer, so therefore he must also be a liar, a thief, or, a, you know, not to be trusted, whatever. And I was like, that's just not fair. And that actually probably was the first time I started to turn away from religion. And how old were you? I was when I was 17. That was when I first lost my virginity as well. Oh, right. I yeah. lost my virginity at 17 as yeah. well, but I didn't have any I, shame associated with it I like to it call again. it a sexual debut. <laughs> I, I this, that's, my, uh, that's my new term for it. I rebranded it. When was your sexual debut <laughs> yeah, instead of when did you lose your virginity? Exactly. I love losing it. your virginity sounds like you're losing something, you're giving something up, but more like... Yeah, sexual I love debut. that. When oh was my. your sexual debut? Awesome. So, yeah. That's absolutely brilliant. <laughs> I love that. I made my sexual debut at 17 with this guy. So yeah. when I have people say to yeah. me, in the Bible it says that homosexuality is a sin, mm. I say, well, in the Bible it says that having a beard is a sin and wearing mm. mixed fiber clothing is a sin and mm. eating pork is a sin. So are we all sinners? And, you know, yeah. it's just ridiculous. It's just the Bible's the just a metaphor for something, yeah. which I'm not sure what it is. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just like it's not meant to be literal and it's it's also not law. I don't know. Please don't write and complain. We're just sharing our, our truth. <laughs> I totally agree with that. But I think 
as well, you and I have lived in Asia for quite some time as well. And Asia, okay, let's see. We say we put the religion part on one side. Asia has some incredibly conservative views around sex. Yes, and I actually think it links back to Confucian values and very traditional family values. So, as an Asian girl growing up, you would be kind of expected to study hard <laughs>、um, yeah. because that was your job while you were still in school. So. You weren't supposed to really have anything to do with boys or you know partners or sex because that would be distracting to your studies. And my parents always said that when you graduate from university, that's when you can start thinking about boys. And once you graduate from university, there's actually almost like a very short gap in between where the family expectation is. You're supposed to start dating and be very serious, and then get married, and then by about thirty, this all happens within like a couple of years, and then by about thirty, you have to start having children. So, from- and this is the plan, isn't <laughs> yeah, it? Yeah, this、It's、is laid out for everybody.、Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's no、mm-hmm. room for lesbians or、no. <laughs> people that aren't doctors or lawyers or yeah. Yeah. <laughs> some sort of yes、uh, notable profession. Yeah, a non-conforming. You yeah, know. No, yeah, no hippies, no <laughs> no artists, no sex coaches, <laughs> no sex <laughs> coaches. What are those? <laughs> so, so how were your parents with you breaking away from all of these kind of? Strict guidelines and values.、Mm, I, it was really hard. I mean, I was very rebellious for a long time. So I think in the period of rebellion,、uh, I didn't talk to them much for several years. But it was just me establishing my own identity. And towards my twenties, you know, we started to come back again and sort of reconcile. I, I think we both, on both sides, realized how hard life was. Was like I realized how hard life was hating my parents, and I think my parents also felt like this is the prodigal daughter, <laughs> like, and she's coming back, and she's yeah, coming so back. We so, have to accept her exactly.、Yeah. So after a few years of me, I guess in the wilderness, I'm using lots of biblical imagery now, <laughs>、um, you know, we kind of reconciled, and now we actually get on great. So they accept what we do. Oh, so、I、they、do. know your career.、Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, are they yeah. fine?、Uh, yes, because now I'm in the newspaper and things like that. So for them, that's like, oh, she's in the SEMP. She's South, made it. <laughs> yeah, South China Morning Post. So it gives them. I, there's something about the Asian sensibility where it gives the Asian parents something to kind of be proud of. Yes, it's kudos, isn't it's it? Kudos, for getting、yes. in in the media. So <laughs> you must be sort of like a a, a knowledgeable person who、yes. is helping others. So they can kind of look at it from that perspective, which、they、is、can. so that's really nice. And I think there's a lot of people that don't have that kind of coming back to their parents if they、no. if they struggle with the you know conservative values or、yeah. their sexuality or their gender or whatever it is. How about you growing up? What were your values growing up? Because it sounds. Quite the opposite. Very opposite. It was pretty、yeah. free and easy. I、yeah. do think, Mum, when I was eighteen, I brought my boyfriend home, and、mm-hmm. we just slept together in the same bed. And I think my mum was a bit like, "Oh, oh, 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 hang on, what's、mm-hmm. going on here?" But it's just like, "Hey, it's it's fine,"、mm-hmm. and nothing more was said. I think she was trying to put these sort of boundaries,、yeah. or you know, maybe you shouldn't have sex before marriage,、yeah. just because that's sort of an old school、mm-hmm. way of thinking, or what will the neighbours think,、mm-hmm. kind of thing.、Mm-hmm. But that was pretty much gone out the window. 
I know that when my brother came out, my dad was like, well, you know, he's a big Aussie farmer and he's like, well, you're still the same kid that you were yesterday, so we we love you, that's fine. Oh, that's And nice. then my mum was like, oh, my God, where have we gone wrong? Quick, <laughs> get him a psychologist. <laughs> but that's all in the moment and yeah. then she got over that very quickly and my brother being gay was really accepted very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. I know that I've been single for years on end, hence the fact that I got scammed in an online dating romance scam. Mm-hmm. But I remember my mum calling me when my brother came out and she said, did you know that your brother's gay? And I'm mm-hmm. like, yeah, he told me. Isn't that amazing? She goes, well, I guess I should ask you the same question. Are you gay too? <laughs> and I'm like, no, mum, I just can't find a bloke. <laughs> Same old story even now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think now it's even harder, right? Dating in a pandemic. I oh, no. just, I mean, it's It is. Tough. So tell me a bit about what you've learned about dating in the pandemic. That it's not really happening for a lot of people. Yeah, or people have people to do it at a distance, difficult. don't they? They've got to do yeah. it at a distance or they've got to do it online. It's a lot of virtual dating, isn't it? There is a lot of virtual dating. I think there is a new standard when it comes to dating, which people wouldn't have originally considered before. So now when you are dating somebody, you do try to ascertain early on what their health and safety do you take Standards a temp- temperature are. gun? <laughs> I don't know. If, I don't Do they know. have to sign a form saying they haven't been out of the country for 14 days or seen anybody with COVID? <laughs> I don't know if that is... I mean, I'm sure maybe some people do that. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> but I, I think you, you do try to gauge early on, you know, is this somebody who's a bit of a... goes to lots of COVID parties and, you know, is a bit of a welcome wagon doesn't wash their hands <laughs> regularly what's a, what's a welcome wagon welcome wagon uh, welcome wagon is kind of like you will welcome anybody onto your wagon <laughs> oh that's brilliant but I, I think there is a I would say a higher standard for safer sex and I think when we were undergoing lockdown or we never really went through a very harsh lockdown here in Hong Kong we went through some restrictions. But I think people were actually more cautious about who they saw. And I think trying to identify one or two, you know, lockdown lovers was kind of key. Somebody you could see regularly. And do you think that people who were single and have been searching for a partner really sort of put the brakes on a lot during COVID and sort of haven't really dated as much as they would normally? Uh, I feel like in some ways people say that they are dating less frequently but then in other ways i've also heard people saying that they're having more authentic communication with people is that because they're spending more time conversing rather than just having sex i think that could be one case but i also think because covid's been hard for a lot of people and in a in a year like this when we are also isolated you know you you crave human connection And more than just the sort of transactional, fast and furious sex, sexual gratification, you know, you're craving connection. Yeah, and I think that's because we're so isolated, especially those that are single or live on their own, which we both do. Yeah. So we are more isolated and you have to work a bit harder to look after your mental health in these kind of situations. And we do crave that connection and it is hard to find, but... Mm. Hopefully this will all be over soon. Yeah. Yeah. I think the funniest moment I had with regards to reading the the guidelines for safe sex in the pandemic 
was this interview that this uh, British Columbia, Canada, um, health minister or health official was giving with the press. And uh, somebody in the press asked for what are the guidelines for sex. And I think she responded with, you know, you want to avoid face-to-face contact <laughs> as much as possible. So you have to be creative with your sexual positions. Um, so I'm thinking doggy style probably. Yeah, and um, people aren't kissing as much then. Not much kissing as well. Um, yeah. And she said also to uh, be creative with physical barriers like walls. Did you hear that? No. So the media had a a field day because then they said, oh, you know, this British Columbia official just, she she just recommended glory holes. Have you ever heard of a glory hole? Oh, yeah, yeah. I do know what a glory hole is. For our listeners out there, just in case they don't, can you tell them? Well, a glory hole is essentially something that was probably big in about... 70s, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it was, was the 70s. A long time ago, maybe two, three decades ago, mm. and more within the gay community. But it's essentially a hole in the wall uh, where you can stick your penis into and then you have somebody at the other side pleasuring you. So the, basically they were suggesting but, go back to the old glory exactly. hole days. And I thought that was really funny because <laughs> I was like... Okay, well, for health and safety, glory holes are pretty good for COVID. Who would have thought? <laughs> Who would have thought? That's hilarious, isn't it? Okay, so let's do our own foom pod. So awesome. Shelly and Mary have the fucked up Mormon phrase of the day, and we're going to have a foil pod, the fucked up Asian phrase of the day and the fucked up Australian phrase of the day. So... You're going to do your Asian phrase of the day and I'm going to try and guess what it means Mm. and then I'm going to do the Australian one and you're going to try and guess what that means, okay? It's the fucked up Asian phrase of the day. Okay, so my phrase in Cantonese is mo tao fu and I'm going to give you the literal translation in English and I want you to try to guess what it refers to. And of course, I'll give you a hint, it's sexual. So, mo dao fu literally means to grind tofu. Now, what could that be? <laughs> why, why could this that, is brilliant. This why is could brilliant. that be? I thought you were saying something about, to, I can't speak much Cantonese, but dao fu, I know. Yeah. What so, could, to grind tofu. What could that refer to? Uh, having sex in a vagina? Mm, not exactly. Uh, let me have another guess. Have another um, guess. Vagina is close. Oh, uh, I don't know. <laughs> okay. It's actually a woman performing cunnilingus, so oral sex. Oh. And so the reason behind to grind tofu, it actually refers to the production of liquid when you grind tofu. And so there's a lot of juice when you grind tofu. Oh, so, so it's linked to the semen. Yeah. Oh, okay. No, not, well, it's not semen. Oh. It's like it's actually a woman performing oral sex on another woman. Oh, okay. So it's the vaginal juices. It is the vaginal Got juices. It. Yeah. Okay. I thought awesome. it would. I thought it would be relevant for this. Yes, very podcast for this well. audience. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I well, guess, like in English, you know, I I was looking at the appropriate slang. I was trying to find the English slang, and in English, you know, they have this awful term called carpet munching. Uh, yes. And I was yes. like, you, you know, yes, and, I know. So it. essentially. Yeah. 
it's the equivalent of carpet munching, except it sounds way better than carpet munching because carpet munching just nobody wants to munch any carpet. <laughs> Whereas tofu sounds yeah. a lot more delicious it does. and it, appetizing. It's and actually juicy. much nicer. Yeah, <laughs> yes, <laughs> I love that. I have one more. Okay, too. go on. Okay, so same thing. I'm gonna give you the Cantonese and give you the literal translation. Okay, so this one is da fei gei. And the literal translation is to shoot airplanes. Masturbation. Yes, Aye! you're right. That wasn't so hard. <laughs> yeah. that's, a, that's a pretty good metaphor. Hey. It's the fucked up Australian phrase of the day. Okay, so I haven't got anything quite as um, <laughs> interestingly sexual, but I've got an Australian phrase and okay. I want you to see if you can guess what it means. Okay. If you drongos don't stop sticky beaking at my grundies, I'll make you wear my budgie smugglers. Okay, I know what budgie smugglers are. So those are like really like tight swim shorts, right? Yeah, speedos. Yeah. Speedos, yeah. yes. <laughs> if you drongos. Drunk people? No. What's the next? If you drongos if you, don't. If you don't stop sticky beaking. Sticky beaking. Okay, I think sticky beaking would be like something like you're sticking your nose into somewhere that it doesn't belong. So being just... Yeah, that's good. Being annoying. Yeah. Or just interrupting or something like that. So if you don't stop sticky beaking at my Grundies. <laughs> at my Grundies. <laughs> Australians are mad. <laughs> I have no idea. At okay, my, so... At my Grundies. So, so I would say at something on my body it, that refers to like looking at my... Something in my undies, something. Yeah, that's it. Is it's it? your undies. Well oh, really? done. Yeah. Oh, why do you call them grundies? I don't know. We're weird. Anyway, so it means if you drongos means if you idiots oh, don't okay. stop sticky beaking, looking mm. at my undies, I'll make you wear my speedos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but if you're looking at their undies, you know. <laughs> I just threw a few words together that I knew would make sense. Here's another one. Okay. Chucky Yui at the light so we can get some grub at the servo. Chuck? Chuck a Yui at the lights so we can get some grub at the servo. Okay. Do a U-turn. Yes. Yes. Very good. At the lights. Yeah. So we can. We can. Get some grub. Get some grub. I guess it's food. Yes. Yeah. At the servo. At the service station? Yes. Very good. <laughs> oh, well done. You, Thanks. They were great flower yeah. pods. I'm very proud of us. Awesome. <laughs> Excellent. So that's the end of that segment. So, Shelly, this sounds like a good time for a break. I agree. We'll be right back. Let's talk about LGBTQ attitudes in mm-hmm. Asia. Mm-hmm. What do you know about that? Well, what I know is that rights are pretty limited in Asia. So I know that um, same-sex sexual activity is actually outlawed in, I'd say, at least 20 Asian countries, including Singapore. Wow. And they have these books on the statutes in Singapore, which are old as the hills and probably not enforced at all, but they just don't get rid of the laws. And I think that Anal sex, particularly between two men in Singapore, is still outlawed. But it's not outlawed here in Hong Kong, is it? It used to be the age was 21 for homosexuals. Okay. And the age of consent is 16 for heterosexuals. Yeah. But now it's all equal. Oh. 
Yeah. That's so, good. Yeah. So well, that, that's changed. Made, made quite a few strides mm. recently. So we don't have same-sex marriage yet, but we do recognize spousal benefits for immigration now. If you got married same-sex, if you were in same-sex marriage from outside of Hong Kong, you're still allowed to come in with your partner and you'd still be able to get like a permanent resident or a green green card equivalent of a green card. And in and Hong that's Kong. thanks to somebody who went to court in mm-hmm. Hong Kong a few years ago. Yes. I don't remember the name of yes. the or but it was two women, wasn't it? I can't was remember it? exactly. I think, it, I think it was two women who went to court to get that law changed. But it was and just recent that they passed the ruling, I would say oh, maybe right. in the past year. Oh right. That's great. I didn't know that. Years. So yeah. that's really good. I know that Taiwan is really progressive Mm -hmm. of all of the countries in Asia with same-sex. I think, I'm not sure if same-sex marriage is legal. I think it might have been made recently legal as well. But yeah, I think adoption is not. But I think by far it's probably one of the most progressive Asian countries. And do you think we'll see gay marriage in Hong Kong or Taiwan or Asia at any point? Or do you think that the culture is too conservative to accept that to be honest i really think that if you ask the younger generation and a lot of the surveys that i've seen with millennials and beyond uh, younger than millennials the attitudes towards same-sex marriage is very open and very permissive so i do think that as the younger generation matures and the older and they get into leadership yeah. positions within asia that yeah. things will change i do think that things will change oh that'll yeah. be great and what about attitudes in schools do you think do you know anything about gay teenagers in hong kong and how it is for them when i was in school i didn't actually know anyone who was gay because well i went to a methodist um, school and as you know my church was very anti-gay so I didn't I mean I'm sure people were gay but they never came out and they never felt comfortable doing that but I know you work a lot with sex education and with teens so why don't you tell me what you've noticed in your school I think that in the international schools in Hong mm-hmm. Kong it's great mm-hmm. there's a lot of teaching about diversity and inclusion mm-hmm. My experiences that kids can come out as gay or bisexual or transgender Mm -hmm. and they're fully supported within the community. And, you know, I really don't know anybody that's been bullied for their sexuality or their gender. And we've definitely had gay, lesbian, Mm -hmm. bisexual and transgender kids in our school. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. And actually, I was listening to Shelley and Mary, one of their podcasts recently about the transgender bathroom debate in the U.S., Mm -hmm. And I'm so proud of the school that I'm in. Our trans kids have their own bathroom. They can get changed in it for PE. They can choose to go with the gender in PE. If the genders are split, they can go with the gender that they're most comfortable with. And we've had kids change pronouns and Mm -hmm. names and everything. And everyone gets on board. Kids, teachers, Mm -hmm. everybody. It's just brilliant. And one of the trans boys just left school recently and he just gave me a big hug and said, thank you so much. Because he came out to me first. I was so honored and came and told me in year 10 that he was transgender. And I'm like, awesome. What do we need to do to support you? You know, be true to yourself and be who you are. And we're here 100% to support you. And he was just like, 
you have made my life so fantastic. Yeah. This school has been brilliant. I've, yeah. I've been able to be myself. It was the easiest transition. I'm so lucky. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to go out in the world and make a difference. And yeah. he's such an amazing, amazing young man. He's incredible. That is amazing. So I can't wait a, to see what he does as yeah. he grows up. That's such a formative age as well. So yeah. it's really great that you're giving them a lot of support. Mm. Um, And he had wonderful parents who Mm -hmm. were really on board and took him off for support and they were fantastic. So, yeah, yeah, that's really great. Yeah, it is great. And I really hope that we can see more of that. I just don't get, as a parent myself, Mm. I don't get how parents, if, if your child comes out to you, oh, I'm gay or I'm transgender or whatever it is, and you shun them or kick them out or don't love them anymore, how can people do that? I cannot fathom. I don't know. Uh, I mean, I think it's just the older generation, cultural values. But also, I think the idea of carrying on the family line, I think that Mm. is very important for uh, Asians. Yeah, but gay people can have kids. Agree, agree, (laughs) agree. Lots of different ways and lots of options Mm. these days, right? Adoption and surrogacy, all of that. But I guess the more traditional way of thinking about it is that you know, carrying on the family line Mm. um, is through man and woman. Yeah, for sure. And it does come down to tradition and religion and also lack of education or understanding and Mm -hmm. not recognizing that people's gender and sexuality and all of that is innate. It's not a choice. Okay, so now we're going to do a Mad Lib. Oh, okay. So yes. The Mad Libs are Shelley basically sings some random song from the Mormon church and she mm-hmm. puts all these other words in it. Okay. But what I'm going to do is I'm just going to sing an Australian song straight oh, up. Yes. Okay. And I want you to try and guess what it's about. All right. Okay. I have got And the song. listeners out there can try and guess what it's about. Okay, so guys, this is a very very famous Australian song and it's almost like our cultural national anthem it's Mm. not the real national anthem Mm. but everyone in australia knows this see if you can get an idea of what it is about Mm. and now the moment we've all been waiting for guess that aussie song once a jolly swagman camped by the billabong under the shade of the coolabar tree and he sang as he watched and waited till his billy boiled. You'll come a waltzing Matilda with me. Waltzing Matilda, waltzing Matilda, you'll come a waltzing Matilda with me. And he sang as he watched and waited till his billy boiled. You'll come a waltzing Matilda with me down came a jumbuck to drink at the billabong up jumped the swagman and grabbed him with glee and he sang as he shoved that jumbuck in his tucker bag you'll come a waltzing matilda with me waltzing matilda waltzing matilda you'll come a waltzing matilda with me and he sang as he shoved that jumbuck in his tucker bag you'll come a waltzing matilda with me up rode the squatter mounted on his thoroughbred up rode the troopers one two three with that jolly jumbuck you've got in your tucker bag you'll come a waltzing matilda with me okay do you have any idea what that song is about 
Um, it sounds like a guy dancing in the desert. <laughs> With lots of swag. I'm sure there's a there's an Aussie interpretation of swag, but the swag that I know, it's like I'm like thinking rapper, swag, gold chains. <laughs> Dancing around. <laughs> Brilliant. You, are, you couldn't be further wrong. <laughs> so this was this song was written in the 1800s and it's really about a traveller who's travelling around Australia and mm-hmm. he sits by a billabong, which is a watering hole, right. mm-hmm. and up comes a jumbuck, which is a sheep. Okay. So the traveler is by the water, sitting, waiting for his billy to boil. A billy yes. is like a kettle, okay? Yeah, yeah. But it's a pot of water. He's waiting for his billy to boil to have his cup of tea. And he's sitting under a cooler bar tree, which is an, a typical okay. Australian tree. And then he jumps up and he grabs the sheep and puts it in his tucker bag, uh-huh. um, which is like his bag. Cause, so he's basically going to eat it okay and then down come the um the troopers and so it's the police come okay and say why have you got that sheep in your tucker bag or your swag a swag is a a bag that um travelers around australia carry and they unroll and they can sleep on it okay yeah so your swag is what you sleep on and your tucker bag is where you put your food (laughs) your food is your tucker i see yeah and then so they said well you'll come a waltzing (laughs) matilda with me because waltzing matilda is the traveler is moving around you'll come with me and we'll waltz down to the police station so where does matilda come in because like matilda is like a a woman's name just waltzing Matilda means to okay. travel from place to place oh, in okay. search of work. So in search of work, yeah. Okay, with your belongings slung mm-hmm. over your back. So mm-hmm. Banjo Patterson wrote the song, mm-hmm. and it was actually called Waltzing the Matilda. But then when Banjo oh. Patterson wrote the song, he dropped the the, mm-hmm. and then it became Waltzing Matilda. I so see. it's basically walking okay. around Australia trying to find work on yeah. the farms and in the stations yeah. and things like that. So I mean, do you guys still use that term now? Like, oh, like I've lost my job. I really need to go, go waltzing Matilda. Matilda. Yeah, yeah. Do I'm you? sure some people do. do you, oh, I mean, okay. it's probably not common with the younger generation. <laughs> okay. But if you said that to anyone, they would they know would what you it? meant. Okay. But it actually, uh, waltzing about is a colloquial term. The term Matilda is an old Germanic name meaning mighty battle maid. So she was more likely named Matildas or Matildi, um, mm-hmm. but that was the name given to the female camp followers, but eventually it evolved into meaning keeping warm at night. I see. Yeah. Okay. So it's wandering around and keeping warm at night <laughs> right. is waltzing Matilda, I looking see. for work. Okay. It's interesting, that isn't is it? That is interesting, yeah. yeah. So, and it's interesting that that phrase is still retained to this very day. Yes. Everyone in used. Australia knows the first verse, yeah. at least, of waltzing Matilda, more than they know the national anthem. Mm-hmm. Like the Australian national anthem is <laughs> is weird. And a lot of people don't know the words, uh-huh. but everyone knows the words of waltzing Matilda. Is this and what we you had were taught a, as kids? Yeah, we were taught this as kids. But I, I remember there was a referendum. I don't know when it was. I'd have to look it up. I think it was in the 70s or the mm. early 80s when I was still at school, I think. We used to do God Save the Queen uh-huh. as our national anthem. And then we had a referendum and Walsing Matilda was nearly voted in. 
as our new national anthem, but they somehow it ended up as Advance Australia Fair, <laughs> yeah. which is just which no one knows. I know the first bit of it, and mm. then I don't know. And it's got weird sayings in it, like "Our home is girt by sea," you know, <laughs> like. Girt. That sounds very staid yeah, for yeah. an Australian yeah. anthem and, uh, because Australia is just yeah so fun. It's yeah, full of very fun, chilled people, and yeah, informal, lively. Yeah, yeah, informal exactly. Like, and <laughs> and waltzing Matilda really speaks more to the history of mm. Australia because mm. it was a convict country and people came over and oh, then right, they okay. you know then the emancipists came uh-huh. from the UK mm-hmm. and then they were the settlers and yeah. many of them had to go out and build farms and stuff. Stations, yeah. And then people would go waltzing Matilda to try and get work on the stations. Yeah, and they okay. literally, it's about going out and camping okay. while you're trying to find work. And work would finish somewhere mm-hmm. on a station. The shearing, for, for example, would finish. Mm-hmm. And then they go to another station or farm and try and find some more shearing. And they go cool. waltzing Matilda. Cool. Yeah. So now I you don't something. have a little Chinese song for us, I do you? I don't have a little Chinese song, but... Um, That's okay. You're fired. <laughs> <laughs> but I also don't have as good a voice as you, I feel. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> uh, let's take another quick break and pay more bills. We'll wrap this up. So I think that brings us to the end of our podcast. So, mm-hmm. Sarah, thank you very much for co hosting. The Hong Kong Pod Squad podcast. It's Thanks such a mouthful. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me. It yeah. was fun. Songs, laughter. I loved it. Yeah, lots of talk about sex and oh, yeah. attitudes. And I hope that, that our listeners, or oh, hang on, the LDL listeners over in the US particularly, mm. I know they've got a global audience, but many of them are Americans and ex-Mormons. I hope that they've just found this really enlightening and I hope that they'll go and check out our podcasts. For me, it's Hong Kong Confidential and also Fool Me Twice, which is produced by myself and my daughter Zara. And for me, it's Better in Bed. Or you can also follow me on Instagram at Hello Sarah Sense. Awesome. And you can follow me on Instagram at... Hong Kong Confidential or at Fool Me Twice J H because there's quite a few Fool Me Twices out there on Instagram. <laughs> so J H for Jules Hannaford. I also forgot to mention in this podcast that I have a memoir that I wrote, which has won the Nonfiction Authors Association Award in 2019 and a Silver Ippy Award in 2020. And it is my life story with a focus on the scams, but you also learn a lot about my life in Australia and my childhood, which is quite entertaining, I think. And the podcast and the book are quite different, so you can enjoy them both. So if people are interested in finding my book, Fool Me Twice, Confessions of a Perpetual Internet Dating Neophyte by Jules Hannaford, you can find it on Amazon. And I'll put all of our podcast links in the show notes mm-hmm. and our social media in the show notes. So that'll be great. Last few words. Thanks for listening. Always remember, love the life you live and live the life you love. I love that. <laughs> Thank you so much. And thanks, Shelley and Mary, for giving us this opportunity. Till next time. Bye, everyone. Bye.